Hey everyone, and welcome to Spiel Chicago, the podcast exploring feminist and progressive work in Chicago theater. My name is Smyra Yan, and this is a special two-part episode of the podcast. I got to sit down and talk with two former guests of the show, Denise Serna and Anna Gelman, about their upcoming work here in Chicago. Denise and I spoke on the phone about 20% Theater Company's production of Spark, now in its final weekend at the Flatiron Arts Building. We talked about why the show is important now and why it's important to see small moments in the lives of marginalized people on stage. Hi, Denise. Thanks for talking with me today. Hello. I'm glad to be here. So Spark is a play written by Obie Award winner Gabi Vavsvich, and it, it tells the story of the three Glimmered sisters. They grew up uh, without their parents from a pretty young age, and Evelyn, the oldest sister, took on the responsibility of raising for them and provide raising them and providing for them. It has been five years since Lexi was home because Lexi was deployed in combat. As she returns home, she is expected to sort of get back into the swing of things, but you realize that that's a little harder. Um, than they had hoped. And their relationships are strained because they've spent their entire childhood sacrificing for one another. What drew you to this play personally? I think it's really wonderful to see the quiet moments of women's lives portrayed on stage. And specifically, this script asks for Latinx actors as much as possible marginalized populations on stage telling their own stories is something that's uh, really being celebrated right now. It's the stories of the big moments, the stories of coming out or marriage or divorce or death or these really big milestones in life. I was really excited to let these women be small on stage and to to fully live in these moments and the little moments that make them laugh and the little moments that break them down are so relatable. And the fact that they grew up in poverty and are still living in great poverty, it changes the way they're able to interact with one another. It changes the daily stresses that they encounter and things that would be easy to deal with, love that would be easy to find, is made harder by the fact that they're fighting every day just to survive. Why do you think this show is important now? You know, I had an interesting conversation the other day about the idea that the stories of marginalized people are always these big moments, right? You know, I, I mentioned it earlier, you know, when it's stories about queer people, it's like they're coming out, it's, you know, making your parents accept you or going out and finding your own family. And um, with women, it's, it's the struggle for respect power and all these big stories and I was talking to someone recently and they were talking about how they're so tired of it um, tired of these these big m moments playing out and it's the same stories over and over to which I responded the reason that it's these big stories is because it's a process and for so long our stories weren't being told or they were being told by other people and often portrayed in stereotypes and misunderstandings. And so we're at the, we, we've been for the last few years at the point where it's like, yes, these are our big moments. Understand us, understand that we have joy and pain and fear just like every other human. And then as we get over that hill, the next step I think is to tell 
these stories of the everyday, seeing these normal everyday stories is really empowering. What do you want this play to do for the audience, to make them feel, to make them think, to make them question? I think that I'd like people to to think about the way they engage in relationships with the people that they love. Maybe after you've seen the show, go through the next few days of your life and clock when you're asking uh, them to to carry your emotional weight for you. I think that I think that the world is is changing and people are waking up to the ways that different gender identities are expected to move through the world and expected to perform their emotional life and and if this play helps people to think about that a little more and maybe strengthen the way they interact with one another, I think that that would be a success. Is there anything else that you specifically wanted to talk about relating to Spark? It is at Collaboration. Um, I would love for folks to come around and see it. It's a really fantastic space because there are other shows happening around us all the time. So it's really exciting to see the mix of people walking through the lobbies. And so I think that if you're the sort of person who likes to interact with all kinds of artists, it's a great space. to It's a great lobby to be in. And uh, come out and support these artists. They're working really hard. They have uh, acted their way out of colds and flus and um, tonsillitis and heaven knows what else to to really go up there and be raw for you. So I encourage you to go and support them. So before we go, I just want to ask, what is up next for you? What are you looking forward to? So first of all, I have a salon series that I curate with Olivia Lilly of Pop Magic Productions called Homeset. And it's programmed quarterly and it happens every month. And each month, showcases three artists and their works in progress in a different living room in the city. We've had two. Our next one is March 18th, and the next one is April 14th. They're secret locations, so folks will have to follow Pop Magic on Facebook to get tickets when they go on sale. And then I am directing for History Lessons, which is a play festival done by Pride Films and Plays that's talking about queer women and femmes in history. So I'm directing a piece about Frida Kahlo and one of her lovers. That is in mid-March. I'm also starting rehearsals this week for a year-long production of a devised piece called Dada Will Save Us that's being produced by Nothing Without a Company and written by Olivia Lilly. And that play is going to be about a group of people who live in a DIY house who believe that Dada is the answer to the Trump administration. And so they pull off a large-scale act of Dada protest. And the play that we devise will be the aftermath of what they've done. I will be hosting a reading on March 31st at the Observatory of a play by Karen Zacarias called Just Like Us. And it is a play that follows some high school girls through college. And they are all... Um, various, they're all at various levels of documentation, and it's about the way that they interact with the world and their education and one another. And we're hoping to partner with local nonprofits that support people, um, who, who are known as dreamers, people who benefit from DACA, and hopefully we'll be able to raise awareness and raise funds for their, uh, legal actions as our government tries to you know, to, to mess with their future. So that's something I'm really excited about. It'll be free of charge. 
um, and it'll be to raise awareness for this cause and for the organizations that are supporting these young people. That sounds incredible. That's so much really interesting stuff coming up. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's a, it's a good year. 2018. Dip it in glitter. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Denise, thank you so much for talking with me. This has been great. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Next up is a conversation with director Anna Gelman about her upcoming devised piece, Why Do You Always Wear Black? Exploring the women in Anton Chekhov's five major plays. Anna Gelman, thanks so much for coming over and talking with me. Thanks for having me again. Especially on this snowy, snowy day. It's classic Chicago. You're here to talk about a new project of yours. Yes, I am. Um, I am starting this Wednesday going into rehearsal for a new devised show called Why Do You Always Wear Black that has been kind of the center of my heart since I was 14, just because I have a bit of an obsession with Chekhov. Like, I have a Chekhov tattoo. That's how much I love Chekhov. What is your Chekhov tattoo? It says to Moscow in Russian. Oh, good. Um, yeah, good. it's it's on my leg. It's because I studied at the Moscow Art Theater when I was 17, and I was totally obsessed with Three Sisters and totally obsessed with Irina specifically, because that's who I was playing. And I, like, thought about it for, like, three years and was like, it means a lot. It's Chekhov. It's the play I studied in Moscow. It's also like my family is Russian and my father's an immigrant from Russia. So there's a lot of meaning to just this one line. There's a lot of hope in it and also a lot of sadness, which kind of sums up Chekhov generally. But anyway, I've been obsessed with Chekhov since I was 14. And as a person who creates device theater and a person whose focus is like feminist theater specifically, um, I've always been really interested in the women who like have such a particular role in those plays. And I think they're frequently, um, their stories aren't considered as central to the plays as the men. And that obviously bothers me a lot. So I wanted to expand those stories and look more into who those women are and create a show that's entirely about them and about how their experiences intersect with each other, even if they're in different plays. So what is what are you looking at with these female characters? What is it that you want to explore that you think isn't the focus of other productions? Well, first of all, I just think a lot of the time people look at the plays and think that the plays are about the men in them. Um, even in Three Sisters, I've heard people say that they think that Three Sisters is about their brother, which I think is fascinating. It's literally called Three Sisters. It's mm -hmm. about the Three Sisters. Um, and I would argue that most of Chekhov's plays are actually about the women. Like Uncle Vanya is without a doubt about Sonia. She's the only one who calls him Uncle Vanya. Mm -hmm. Why else would it be called Uncle Vanya? Um, in the case of the seagull, I think you gotta have you have to look at Nina because she is the seagull. Um, and I think in Cherry Orchard, it is Renievskaya's Cherry Orchard, so it's about her. The only one that tricks you up with the title is Ivanov, because it's literally called Ivanov, so you want to believe it is about Ivanov. But I will also argue that that was one of his first and weaker plays. <laughs> so maybe he hadn't quite figured out yet how to make it all about the women. <laughs> That's just what I want to believe. But the other thing, honestly, that really bothers me is that a huge question is, even when you're doing this play that is about, only about the women's stories, I think it's difficult for that play to pass the Bechdel test, which obviously the Bechdel test is not the be all and end all of feminist theater, but the even when the women are the focus and even when the women have some of their strongest moments, they're talking about the men. And that's a thing that I really want to look at and interrogate and like kind of point out that my fave is problematic and like interrogate in the ways in which Chekhov, as much as he is my favorite playwright, was a misogynist. And that's partially 
him and that's partially because he was a product of his time you know late 1800s russia was not exactly a happy place to be a woman uh who are the characters that you're exploring in this device piece so we're looking, I want to just say all of the women in the five plays, there's a couple women we aren't focusing on specifically just because my cast is mostly young women. And it's difficult to look at some of the older characters like there's a there's a couple nannies in the plays that are fascinating characters that I just feel like would be it would be a little bit um, inappropriate, honestly, for us to look at them and try and explore them just because we don't have that experience yet. Um, there's a couple characters that we're reaching for, but we're um, mostly focusing on not only the specific characters in the play, but also like how their arcs connect to each other and what is the shared experience of the women in the Chekhovian world. Um, so I hope as many of them as possible are represented on stage, even if you can't necessarily pinpoint like, oh, that's a moment from Uncle Vanya, just like that's a moment from this world. And also like that's a moment that's relatable generally. I'm really lucky that I have a group of women who are almost if not entirely as obsessed with Chekhov as I am, which is a really cool experience. Um, a lot of the actors in the show also studied the Moscow Art Theater and the actors who didn't are like on board with this experiment and like really down to play, which is the best possible scenario when you're devising something like this. So far we've had only, we've had some informal meetings. We actually have one today um, where we just get together in my apartment and like drink tea and talk about the plays and talk about the things that are, that bother us and the things that are so strange and the things that we like want to dig into and explore. Does your obsession with Chekhov, it obviously colors the way that you see other shows. Do you think it helps you enjoy them more or get more out of them? Or are you like super critical and analytic of other productions of Chekhov's work that you see? Oh, I am definitely a snob about Chekhov plays. Um, and I think this also has to do with like how I grew up in a, a household with a, an immigrant parent. Um, my father translates Chekhov plays. Um, so I have a little bit of a bias when it comes to translations generally. I think some of the more modern adaptations of Chekhov plays are like getting in, into English, um, are getting way closer to what Russians, how Russians read Chekhov. But generally, I think I have a bit of a problem with how Americans consider Chekhov generally. Um, there've been a couple American productions of Chekhov plays I've really liked, but I think across the board, a lot of Americans read the plays as incredibly depressing. Um, and he self-labeled two of them as comedies. Um, and then one of them is a drama and one of them is scenes from countryside life. I have no idea what that means genre wise, but they're funny. And they're, uh, I, I think the other thing about them that is not seen in most American productions is that I think he was a surrealist playwright in many ways. And there's a little bit of a temptation to read him as a realist, but you know, if, if they were realistic plays, I feel like the sisters would just buy a ticket to Moscow instead of just talk about it. Why is it, do you think that his plays are perceived or not perceived as comedies or are not read that way by Americans? Well, I think it because if you take them at their surface level, they are incredibly depressing. You know, they're a lot about how difficult it is to just be a human and live your life and about that like everyday depression that gets people and how difficult it is to just like live. Um, also, some of the characters go through unbelievable tragedy. Um, you know, we have characters who commit suicide in some of the plays. I think, yeah, at surface level, they are incredibly depressing. But the thing that he does so well is that he finds the laughter inside it so that even when you're looking at something that is so sad, you feel it. it's so human that it's almost funny. Um, there's a Harold Bloom quote where he's talking about Chekhov and says, that all of Chekhov's plays would be incredibly depressing if Chekhov didn't insist on being so cheerful while telling the story. And I think that's really accurate. Cool. You say there are a few other people who've 
who uh, studied at the Moscow Art Theater. What did you get from that from that place that is different than what you learned in the United States? Well, first of all, there's like this extreme dedication to spending all of your time with one play. And they're very particular about it being Chekhov, at least when Americans study there, because Chekhov was, he wasn't technically a founder of the Moscow Art Theater, but the Seagull was their first production. Um, and the emblem of the Moscow Art Theater is the Seagull from his play that's on the building and it's on all the graves of the founders and the original actors. And even I think contemporary actors now get the Seagull on their grave when they pass away. So there's a an interest in like exploring Chekhov the way it should be explored from a Russian standpoint. And then they really, when you're a student there, focus in on one singular play and you spend months on only that play and eventually you spend months on only one character um, and it is your job while you're there to figure out everything that you can about that character and whenever you reach a stopping point you're like I don't get it I can't find this answer the professors are always like it's in the play this isn't up to you it's in there you can find it um, and that is definitely a singular experience and I think also just the fact that it is an overwhelming place to be and that you're expected to work constantly and be on all the time it's like inescapable that you just exist in that world and you're like constantly generating which is a really cool experience do you think that's an experience related to being a student there or is that something uh is that something having to do with russian theater in general it's definitely something having to do with russian theater that's why their school is the way that it is i mean what's so different about russian theater than american theater which is like both a good thing and a bad thing is that it's state funded all of it um, and because it's state funded and all the major theaters get money from the government, it's like this gigantic national pride in the theater that's created. And I like I went to a bunch of like Tuesday, Wednesday night performances in Russia that were completely sold out, which is a pretty incredible thing to see in these like gigantic houses. Mm -hmm. They also basically entirely subscribe to the idea of a rotating repertory. So plays will exist for 10 plus years in rotating rep with other plays in their company um, with the same group of actors who like alternate roles on the given night depending on what's going on in the theater. Um, and because of that, they sometimes rehearse for like two years before anyone sees what's going on, which is a, a crazy concept. They are given that chance. They are they have that chance in economically, they have more of an opportunity to like play and rehearse for a long period of time than Americans do, which is great. But it also means the government has a hand in what you're creating, which is why a Russian director was just sentenced to house arrest and um, yeah, and we're getting back into that territory in Russia now where like artists are going to start being condemned by the government, I think, is what it feels like. Oof. Yeah, it's tough stuff. So a lot of what you talked about, the the sort of playing around with material until you find something evocative or heartbreaking um, is something I recognize from like American Device Theater. Are there things that are different from what we might think of as as devised work here in the States? I think a lot of it is really similar just because when you put a group of like-minded artists together and just task them with creating something out of nothing, you're going to get a pretty similar, not that like all devised work is similar, but that you're going to have a you know, group of people who want to make. And that's the, really all you need to make devised theater, in my opinion. Um, so there's a lot of it that's similar. I think it's mostly just the atmosphere with within it's created just because there's it's just a completely different world the way they think about theater and the way they think about a rehearsal process like if a russian play uh if they feel it's not ready to open it just won't open that's not a thing that happens that's here wild. i know it's well and it's because if you look at these big companies like the moscow art theater and like Vaktangov and like a bunch of the companies in moscow they have so many plays running in rep that if they were like oh we're gonna push back this opening night it's not like they wouldn't have another show to do that night so they can just do another show yeah the the ballet that 
this director who was just arrested and who's under house arrest, the ballet that he's been working on has been in rehearsal for over a year. That's wild because even the largest, most what you would call stable theaters here, I can't speak to across the country, but here in Chicago are very beholden to their budget and their opening night and this schedule. And it doesn't like the idea of even pushing an opening back a week seems crazy. And I think, I mean, if they did that in Russia, it would probably be a scandal. But that being said, I think they generally don't set an opening night until they feel like they're ready. They just keep rehearsing until they feel like an audience can be there. And then generally keep rehearsing once an audience has seen it, at least for a little while. The thing it's, I mean, that's like the huge benefit to the the way that their economy works with the arts um, is that they get to have a a staff of actors essentially whose entire job it is to like create and play and they get a salary for it like a, a regular salary because the government funds so much of what's going on it makes you feel like why does nonprofit theater in the united states work the way that it does if we have this option um but then you also have to remember that it does mean that the government has a ton of control mm -hmm. um and has uh they have a lot of leverage with theater companies which is like is that a good thing mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because then, like, how does theater criticize the government? Right. It's a tightrope. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, one more question about Russia is, are there specific things that you're bringing into this process from uh, your experience there? I think the main thing, and I think I take this with me no matter what I'm working on, even if it's um, not devised, even if it's not Chekhov, is the, the attitude of play um, I'm really interested in and the attitude of, like, you can find the answer in the text um, the text, the story, the moment, what's happening tells you how to solve the problem of what you're facing on stage. Um, even if you have to dig and analyze and like fudge it, like it's in there, the answer's in there. And I think I do that with everything that I work on. Um, besides that, uh, I always love to bring the movement styles and things that I learned in Russia is like a thing that will always stick with me. And I like will never forget my movement professor in Russia telling me <laughs> to be like, they have a, they love the idea that you're light on your feet and that no matter what you're graceful which i think is a really fascinating idea that like no matter what's happening on stage it's graceful um and i definitely don't always stick with that but it's a thing that i like to remember uh so you've had a few meetings what are some of the things that well, what are some things that you that are new to you that are being discussed that have brought that your actors have brought to you as someone obsessed with Chekhov, is there anything like are there any new ideas that you're discovering in this process there are definitely new ideas there are things that the actors um, and that my associate director Julia come up with that I would never contemplate just because we each have such an interesting connection to different characters in different plays, um, which is really fun because like one of, you know, if an actor feels a specific way about Sonia and Uncle Vanya because just because they feel so connected that they're going to have a lot more insight into what's going on with Sonia than I am, you know, as a director. Um, so there's been some new things that I like never would have imagined that we've come up with already. One of my actors wrote an incredible announcement to go at the top of the show that's like a safety announcement for uh, an airline, but is like a safety announcement for getting yourself into the world of Chekhov and for being a woman in a Chekhov place specifically that's incredible. Um, and she wrote that based on the idea of um, like... I think the homework assignment we gave her was to explore what it's like to love someone or try to save someone who like doesn't want to acknowledge your existence, which is a pretty big theme among the women in Chekhov's plays. Um, and that's kind of like where she got was like this safety announcement, um, which is incredible. It's that's really awesome. funny. <laughs> yeah. Did you go in with 
specific ideas of things that you wanted this show to say about Chekhov's women? And has that changed at all? So I think when I first came up with the idea for the show with one of my best friends in college, when I was a junior in college, it was entirely about, wow, wouldn't it be fun if we just got to spend a couple months doing nothing but Chekhov and like doing exactly what we want to do with Chekhov. So it, it started in a pretty shallow place, um, but like an enthusiastic place, which I think is what matter has. I think that's what matters. Um, as I've started it this time around, I, a huge thing I've discovered is um, I don't want to defend him at all. I think when people find out that Chekhov is my favorite playwright, that's pretty surprising to a lot of people if they don't know me, just because a lot of his plays read as pretty misogynistic and read as being pretty male focused. And there's no interest in really like delving into diversity in a lot of his plays if you read them at a, a surface level. But I don't want to defend him and be like, no, 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 this is why Chekhov's great. This is why we love Chekhov. I want to, and I think more and more as time goes on, I think I want to point out all the things that are problematic about it. And also in that way, question who classical theater belongs to, which is a, a huge thing that one of my cast members really like brought to the forefront in her interest in like what we're doing with this piece is like, the, these plays for so long have just belonged to white dudes because Chekhov was a white dude and because like that's the unfortunate truth of what a lot of Russian theater is is like it belongs to white men we're going to tell their stories it's going to be about them it's going to be about how tragic they are and how great they are and what heroes they are and I really want to question every single part of that and question um, who these plays really belong to and also point out all the incredible things he wrote for women and all of the stuff he didn't write for women. And I want to find a way to tell the stories he didn't write while like staying true to the heart of what his plays are. That's great. Um, one last question about this. What do you want for people who are not someone who's never seen a Chekhov play and doesn't know anything about him or his work? What do you want that person to get out of this show? So obviously like a person who's read all of Chekhov's plays is going to have a crazy experience with the show just because I feel like it's going to feel like inside joke after inside joke. Um, but obviously the goal is that anyone who walks into the audience has a good experience and has an emotional experience with it, which I think is incredibly doable because as much as this play is going to be about the women specifically in these plays, I think it's also about the experience of being a woman across the board and also the experience of being a human. You know, some of the things we're exploring are unrequited love, which across the board is pretty universal. We're also exploring, you know, what it's like when you have a dream and you achieve that dream and that dream is in no way what you wanted it to be. Um, what your life is like when it doesn't turn out the way you thought it was and you realize you're older than you thought you were and um, your life feels pretty set in its place. That's a, a huge thing to explore. And also just like dream and fantasy and feeling like you don't belong and trying to belong and all of that is present in these plays and will be present in Why Do You Always Wear Black? So it's my hope that people who see the show, whether they've read Chekhov or not, feel like they are seen in some way by it, um, no matter what their experience with the playwright is specifically. I'm just really excited about it. It feels like the biggest treat in the world to work with the people I'm working with who I love and admire and to like work for my company, which is incredible. And to be able to do devised theater that kind of focuses on a playwright that I'm so obsessed with, but also gets to like break some boundaries. Why Do You Always Wear Black opens on March 21st at the Greenhouse Theater Center. Um, if you want to find more information, then you should check out organictheater.org or Organic Theater's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Awesome. Anna, thanks so much for coming over. This is really fun. Thanks for having me back. 
thanks again to Anna and Denise for chatting with me. If you'd like to see Spark, produced by 20% Theatre Company, it is in its final weekend at the Flatiron Arts Building. We'll have a ticket link on the show page. We'll also have links to tickets and info for Why Do You Always Wear Black, produced by Organic Theatre Company. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or rants, you can email us at spielchicago, that's S-P-I-E-L, Chicago, at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter or Facebook. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the theater.